You're listening to audio from Praxis Church Kelowna. Praxis is a new church plant that exists to follow Jesus and make him known. If you're interested in finding out more or joining us in person, go to praxischurch.ca. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. If I haven't met, had a chance to meet you before, my name's Josh, the pastor here, uh, first-time guest and visitor. Big, warm welcome to you. Merry Christmas. Good to have you here with us. We are in our official last week here in this building. That's been blowing my mind all week. I'm just thinking back to the very beginning here, meeting in the parking lot. I think Jane was singing in End Coal. Um, lots of you were there, meeting under tents in the parking lot. And of course, if you're around, you know some of that story. There was noise complaints, and then we came inside, and there was protests. And then a month later, there was a bomb threat. And there's been all sorts of crazy things that have went on in, in our journey to three gatherings now on a Sunday, filling this space up. Remember, at first, we had put things out on the sides, just so it felt full with a smaller group. And now we're trying to figure out how to take things out so that we can fit everyone in. Uh, an incredible journey. This is our 132nd Sunday as a community in here, and I look forward to hundreds more together as a community, but I'm looking forward to getting out of here. Um, not because it's a bad building. It served us really well. We're just, we've outgrown it. We're like the, te- the, the 20-year-old in mom and dad's basement that should, be, should, have, should have already been gone. Some of you here, you're like, stop it. The car ride home is going to be interesting. Open your Bibles up um, to Luke 2. Luke 2, and then we're going to do some work in John 15 too. So if you want to, uh, if you've got some of these ribbons, put them in two spots, put your thumb, put your finger in, just ready yourself. We're going to be in these two places this morning. Um, Luke 2, John 15, while you open your Bibles up, I'm going to open us in prayer and we will dive in. <clears throat> Lord, I'm, I'm thankful for this community. I'm thankful for these rich truths we've just been singing. All glory, honor, and praise is due to Christ. And we as your people now, we come together to sit under the instruction of your word. These rich truths, these, these, these truths that have transformed the world and when we rightly perceive them, will transform our lives as well. And so we pray, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, for your empowerment to do what I'm incapable of, which is making this word come alive. But we thank you that it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, that it pierces to the division of joint and marrow and soul and spirit, that your word, that you, O Lord God, perceive the thoughts and intentions of, of man. And so would you bring your word to bear on us as we sit under its instruction now? And we pray in the great name of Christ, by the power of the Spirit to you, Father. Amen. All right, so if you were listening, we just heard read by Jane very famous section of scripture. If, if you've ever come to church at Christmas, you've probably heard this read. Um, Mary and Joseph, they're on their way up to Bethlehem from their home in Nazareth for a census. Um, they get there. They're in Bethlehem. Mary goes into labor. There's no place left in the, the inn, of course. Too many people are in town from out of town, so they wrap him up in swaddling clothes, put him in a manger. A little boy shows up at the drum, starts to play songs, and the oxen <laughs> lamb, they keep time, right? So we, we know this story. This takes place. Then the camera zooms out from that scene and onto some shepherds in a field. We don't know where exactly they're at, but um, we zoom in on these shepherds, and and they're just kind of minding their own business. They're out there. The text tells us it's the middle of the night. So they're out there watching for predators that would come and try to take the sheep. And so when these angels suddenly appear to them in the middle of the night, 
they're spooked, they're freaked out, as anyone would be. And the text says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. And, and if you've read other parts of the Bible, this is a frightening thing. When God reveals himself to you, that's actually a frightening experience. And so Luke is right, and I mean, he tells us the shepherds were filled with great fear. Not just fear, or they were startled. Great fear. It's, it's fearful because God is radically holy and we are radically not. And when you rightly behold God, that's a, a, a fearful thing. This is why in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah beholds God, he says, woe is me. When Peter, the disciple of Jesus, finally clues into who Jesus is, he falls on his face and says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. That's why Hebrews 10.31 says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a right response these shepherds have. Fear. But the angels, they come and say something to him that I want to draw our attention to. It's there in verse 10. They come and they say, fear not. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. With our time this morning, I want to talk about joy. And, and how the joy that came with the advent of Christ is better than any other form of experienced pleasure that is on hand in the world. And I, I think this is actually a very vitally important discussion because every single one of us is living our lives in pursuit of, of experienced pleasure, of joy and happiness. Aristotle, the, the famous Greek philosopher and polymath, he said... Happiness is the ultimate purpose of human existence. So, so says Greek philosophy. Um, the Buddha, he said, there's no path to happiness. Happiness is the path, referring to the fact that people are living their lives in pursuit of happiness. Life is kind of this choose-your-own-adventure story, and we're all making our way according to what we believe will bring us the most happiness. I don't quote Buddha very often here. I'll quote another famous philosopher, Pharrell Williams. He said, clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth. Clap along if you know what happiness is to you. This song, it's essentially saying, you know, if you know what, you know, the pursuit of happiness is the ultimate purpose of human life, and you know what it is that will make you happy, you should clap because you got the cat in the bag. The cultural mantra is, find what makes you happy and do it. I want to make the argument, though, that there is an important difference between joy and happiness. And when we see this distinction, one of them becomes far more worthy of our pursuit. Happiness, um, defined by dictionary.com, a reliable source, is resulting from the possession or attainment of what one considers good. So happiness results from getting something external. Now, we might think of joy and happiness as synonymous, but they're, they're actually quite different, especially if we take a look at the Greek word, the original language that's being translated into our language, English, for joy. In Greek, that word is chara, which is referring to an, an inner gladness um, that ignites a cheerful heart. I'm borrowing that definition. It's, it's not an experience that comes from favorable circumstances. It's not gained externally like happiness. It's something that manifests internally. Happiness and joy are different. 
And I'm going to give just three key ways they're different. The first is this. Happiness is acquired externally. Joy is produced internally. Happiness is gained through external items, situations. Joy is produced internally by the Spirit. More on that later. It's, it's not an emotion like happiness. It's way more than that. Uh, Galatians 5 lists it as a fruit of the Spirit. So just as like a byproduct of the Spirit being in you. So just as when you light a fire, a byproduct is heat. When the Holy Spirit indwells you and, and our heart is ignited, we've been given a new heart, one of the byproducts out of us is is joy. Joy and happiness are not one and the same. Now this, I want to just say, it doesn't make happiness a bad thing. It's great to be able to draw happiness from your external situations around you. It's lovely when things work out like that. But I want us to see that happiness and joy are different. The second way and key difference is that happiness can be lost. Joy can't be taken away. Because happiness is produced by external things, external factors. If these factors, these external things are removed, so too is the happiness that results from them. But joy isn't reliant on the, the external. We've already said that. And so this is a really key difference between the two. And knowing that helps make sense of some scriptures like this. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That's James, the brother of Jesus, saying that. Now, just let me ask, why would you get joy from trials? Is that a weird thing? If you got, clearly they're different, because if you got happiness from trials, I'd start saving up for a really, really good counselor, right? You got expensive problems, because for normal people, trials or suffering, pain, loss, those things take away your happiness. They don't fuel it. Happiness and joy are different. If we face trials, we lose happiness, but not our joy. Several times in the book of Acts, the disciples are beaten with rods, whipped, and they go away rejoicing, which is like a form of that word joy, rejoicing because they had. They aren't happy about being beaten. But it doesn't take their joy. Actually, in fact, it increases it. Hebrews 12 tells us, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now, it's clear. This verse is talking about joy and not happiness. The translators did not botch this one. No one is happy to go to the cross. Jesus wasn't happy to go to the cross. You could never talk anyone to going into the cross for happiness. We'd be like, you know, no, that's okay. I'm okay with my current happiness level. I'll spare myself the cross, right? Yet he endured it for joy. Joy. Happiness is acquired externally. Joy is produced internally. We need to know the difference, and we need to see these two things are not synonymous. We might think of them the same, but if you cut into it and dissect it and pull it apart, these are very different things. Third reason the kind of key difference is this, is that happiness is drawn from the temporal, joy is drawn from the eternal. And I want to unpack what I mean here. There is something inside of every single human heart that is longing. There's a longing in our hearts. And our, and our human proclivity is to try to satisfy this longing with pleasures, usually fleeting pleasures. Every single one of us is prone to look to temporal things for satisfaction rather than eternal ones. Uh, St. Augustine said, 
You have made us for yourselves, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. There's, there's thousands of things that we turn to trying to you know, satisfy ourselves or that promise to satisfy ourselves, but they're temporal things. We'll, we'll chase after objects and experiences and you know, things that promise pleasure, but they never really do. And the key reason is, is that we are eternal beings and those things are temporal objects. I'll try to use an example. This would be like buying a bottle of water and thinking it would quench your thirst forever, that one bottle of water. It won't. Why? Because it's a temporal, restricted thing that can't satisfy our, our ongoing, continual thirst. But we buy into this thinking a lot, you know, that somehow this thing, when I get it, it will take care of me forever. However, we know it doesn't work. We just keep buying more and more and more. Why? Because it's a bottle. It's a small, fixed amount. Happiness is like drinking from a water bottle. Joy is like putting your face right underneath a waterfall. Joy is a much deeper source of, of experienced pleasure. Now, I would argue Aristotle was close but no cigar in uh, his conclusion that happiness is the ultimate purpose of human existence. It's close, but I, I would rather say that what the scripture seems to be presenting to us is that we shouldn't live our life in pursuit of happiness, but rather joy, that we actually exist to pursue joy, not some cheap plastic hallmark version of happiness, not where you walk around with this pretend plastered on smile, which, I mean, as Christians, we're great at, probably better than any other people in the world, except maybe relivers. <laughs> if you've grown up in the church, this is what you've been trained to do. Show up, smile, put on your best clothes, pull it all together. Don't tell the family secrets. How are you doing, brother? Ah, oh, too blessed to be stressed, right? <laughs> We've got all these dumb sayings. Fake plastic Christianity is absolutely exhausting. And it's completely impossible to keep up because you can't be chipper all the time. You can't be joyful while you're, or you can be joyful, pardon me, I'm going to rewind my words. You can't be chipper while you're dying of cancer. You're not going to be happy when you've lost a child. You're not happy when these things happen. If you are, again, you got really expensive problems because happiness should evade you during these times, but this is the thing, joy will not. And so we should pursue joy rather than happiness. The, the pursuit of happiness is, is a terrible thing to live our life in pursuit of, but the pursuit of joy is a, a wonderful one. Again, not that being happy is bad, it's good but joy is a better thing to pursue. And so it's worth asking, I think, ourselves, am I pursuing happiness or joy? Where am I looking for my experienced pleasure? In that waterfall or the bottle of water? Am I looking for all of my joy and happiness in my marriage? I mean, that can fail you. Are you looking for that in you know, a relationship where somebody makes you feel like a Disney prince or princess, whatever your thing is? Okay, that can fail you. If that's where you're drawing, that's the well you're trying to find joy at, that, that's a, that can fail you. 
Is it accolades, affirmation at work, financial stability, a home, all of these things can fail you. Where are you looking for joy? Where, where does the places you spend money reveal about where you're looking for joy? Where does where you invest your time? Where does what you watch reveal about what you believe will bring you experienced pleasure? Not only is the joy the Bible describes different than happiness that the world offers, it also says it's rooted in a different place. Take a look at the text here. Um, two, Luke 2, verse 10, The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This links here, this joy for all people together with the person of Jesus. In, in fact, it's in the fact that Jesus was born that joy is to be found. Why? Because while happiness is tethered to our physical Situations, joy is being presented to here to tethered to our spiritual situations. And apart from Christ, our spiritual situations are a mess. Last year, or last year, last week, I quoted Ephesians 2, which tells us that prior to Christ, we were alienated from God. We were strangers to the covenants of promise, that we were without hope and without God. But it's through Christ that all of these things changed. It's through Christ that we became connected to the Father. Through Christ, we have forgiveness of our sins. Through Christ, we've been given eternal life. Through Christ, we've been given the Holy Spirit, who Galatians 5 says indwells us and produces this fruit of joy in us. The good news of great joy that Luke 2 is talking about is that with the advent of Jesus came the advent of true joy. And this idea is all through scripture. We got up on the screen here from Isaiah. It says, you will say in that day, meaning the day of Jesus, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, which is the state of those who are not in Christ forgiven, the anger of God, the wrath of God is reserved for you. Though you were angry with me, your anger turned away in Christ, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. That is the name of Christ. That's what Jesus means. God is my salvation, by the way. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust. I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. Now listen to this line. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. That's where joy comes from. The well of salvation that Christ opened for us is the water the true, that true and lasting joy is drawn from. Isaiah 49 says, Sing for joy. O heavens, and exalt, O earth, break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. Foretelling of Christ's coming, he, he commands singing for joy. Why? Because Christ is the one who's purchased it for us. And so then, of those blood-bought, redeemed followers of Jesus, the text goes on to say in Isaiah 55 that this, you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth before you. I, pardon me, that's the King James. Before you shall break into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. 
I love this verse. Actually, I learned this song as a kid, and I sing it for my kids at night. They hate it. Um, <laughs> they got a little tired of it now, but I love it. It, it, it says, you know, Christians, we're not just going to have our sins forgiven, but we're going to be a people marked by joy, led through life in peace, and that we will interact with the world in a, in, in a new way, and, and the, the world will interact with us in a new way as well. The trees of the field will clap their hands. The hills will sing. It's talking about the, not only the curse being removed from God's creatures, but the curse being removed from God's creation. It foretells of the day the earth that was cursed with our fall as well, once again, being released from that and flourishing once again. And that's why we can go out with joy. The, the famous hymn picks up on this by Isaac Watts, uh, Joy to the World. He picks up on that Isaiah verse. He says, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare a room and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns, let all, let men their songs employ. And then here it is, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. That's nature being released from the curse as well for God's people to interact with it differently. Nature is singing. Why? Because it's released from the curse as well. No more then let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. Because he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. This is why we are to be marked by joy. Because God became flesh, dwelt among us because the author of creation became man in order that he could become our righteous substitute. Because through the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, we have forgiveness of our sins and a promise that he's not only redeeming us from the curse, but he's redeeming all things from the curse as well. Everything else will fail us because it's under the curse. But through Jesus, the curse has been broken. Therefore, the only source of joy is Jesus. I would go so far to say that Jesus came to earth to purchase joy for us. Jesus said it in John 17, 3. He said this, These things I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. If Jesus then incarnated and died to purchase us joy, I want to ask us, church, are we experiencing it? Are our lives marked by the joy Jesus died and incarnated to purchase for us? If we're disciples of Jesus, it, it should be. This is what he came to do, bring us an eternal source of joy. But if you're like me, this might not be your default mode. Anyone else? Like, I, don't, I think this switch is like broken in me. It I just doesn't naturally come out of me. I, I don't think I'm alone in that either. I'm, a few years ago, I became really convicted of this. And so I'm, I'm, I always make myself a, a resolution, a spiritual resolutions on New Year's, which I think is an important practice. But I, I made it a resolution every morning to pray for joy. Pray for joy. Why? Because I don't naturally have it. One author said this, he said, joy doesn't simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. C.S. Lewis said this, joy is the serious business of heaven. There's an intention to it, it's business. 
and it's serious business. It's work. It doesn't just happen. We need to contend for it. And, and there's a section of Scripture that speaks directly to how we can contend for more joy. Now, if you have your thumb in John 15, flip over there. There's three instructions in this text for how we might get more joy that Christ came to give. And so try to catch them. I'm going to read. I'll just read the first 11 verses. They're not going to be up on the screen. I love hearing the Bible pages flip. That's good. If you want to flip over, it'll be more helpful because I'm going to read it. And then, and then I'll see if you can catch these three. Jesus said, I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. Now, remember, one of the, the fruit that we're supposed to produce with the Spirit in us is joy. Already, you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit in itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not, uh, uh, um, does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches then are gathered and will be thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you. Why? That my joy might be in you and your joy might be full. Three things. Three instructions on how to experience more joy. If you missed them, I'll put them up on the screen. The first, abide in him. And this is a big topic. Go read John 15 on your own. Um, if your community group is meeting this week, go, go read it. See what it, think through what it looks like to abide. It's a bigger topic than I have to really plunge into today. But um, it tells us actually in, in verse four, abide in me and I in you. Unless the, the branch cannot bear fruit in itself unless it abides in the vine and neither can you. Jesus said he's the vine, we're the branches and if we abide in him we'll bear much fruit. The fruit of joy, the fruit of that spirit is drawn from connecting, connection to him, abiding in him. And so if you want joy, we're to put our roots down there. Put our roots in this eternal source of joy, not in the countless temporal places we go. St. Augustine, he said this, True happiness is to rejoice in the truth. For to rejoice in the truth is to rejoice in you, O God. You are the truth. Those who think there's another kind of happiness look for joy elsewhere, but theirs is not true joy. We're prone to going to these places, but if we want to abide and connect in him, it's going to involve turning from other things to him. That's actually what that word repent means that Jesus uses so much. Repent and follow me. Turn from this, come over here. Leave that thing, come over here. Leave that lesser source of joy that keeps failing you, come over here. I never will. C.S. Lewis put it this way kind of speaking to this idea that we need to position ourselves in, in the place where we can receive. He said, good things as well as bad, you know, are caught by a kind of infection. 
They're transmitted virally, if you will. If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, you got to get closer even into the thing that has them. They're not a sort of prize which God could, if he chose, just hand out to anyone. They are a great foundation of energy and beauty, spurting up the very center of reality. If you're close to it, the spray will wet you. If you're not, you will remain dry. The source of joy is God. If you want joy, he's saying get close to God. John calls it abiding and you know, the, Swift, the Swiss theologian Karl Barth, he said, um, the eternal being, God, is radiant. He's radiating joy. And so if we're in connection with him, you're going to get doused by joy. So if you want to, joy, we need to abide with him. How do you abide with him? The second thing that I see presented to us in John 15 is that we keep his commandments. It's right there in verse 10. Uh, Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in me. So if we obey him, we, we abide, if we obey his commandments. So what are his commandments? If you were with us way back a couple years ago, you remember we went through Sermon on the Mount. And I, I'd commend that. This is the strongest kind of condensed version of all of Jesus' teaching. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, they're, they're all the commands of Jesus. Go read them. Read them and, and see what instruction Jesus gives to us as his disciples. Because if we want joy... He says it comes by way of obeying his commandments, so we need to know his commandments. But there's actually a command in our text today. Um, I didn't read it yet, so if you didn't pick up on it, that's okay. One verse further, um, in verse 12, he, he tells us what his commands are. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. He's saying, go love people practically. Go serve people. I don't, I don't know how that works, but it, it, it does and some of you, you know this as well, when you serve other people, you practically find ways to love other people, you end up experiencing peace and joy. It's like the, the story of the widow's oil. I think it's in Second uh, Kings. You remember that? Whenever she brings that empty container, the oil keeps flowing it into it. Elijah, remember that miracle? Every time she comes with an empty one, hey, it's been used, it keeps filling. But when she comes and there's nothing more to fill up, that's when the oil ceases. When we keep coming empty, having poured out, he keeps flowing. There's no burning out in the Christian kingdom. It keeps flowing into you. So some of us, we're not experiencing joy because we're, we're literally, we're not pouring out. We don't need anything. We need to stop thinking that doing nothing will result in joy. We need to obey his commands. One of them is to love people, but there's lots of them. And, and just to speak to the commands idea for a minute, because I think some of us, I, we think wrongly of God's commands. We think of God's commands as infringing on our joy, or like limiting our joy, or stealing our joy, but... This verse actually tells us that his commands are there for our joy. The boundaries he draws, the guidelines, the instruction, the commands he gives are actually for our joy. They're not joy kills. They're the pathway to joy. It's him drawing a path for us to lead us to him and to joy. I'm Psalm 16. It says this, you make known to me the path of life. What's that? His commands, his instruction. 
In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If you want to joy, you've got to abide with him. How do you abide with him? You obey him. How do you learn to obey him? You follow the trail of his commands that he's marked out for us. His commands are the pathway to joy. And so we don't obey simply to be moral. We we obey to get joy. That's an important distinction. We obey God because it gives us joy. It's the pathway to the fullness of joy. And so I'll ask us another question, church. Is it possible that we lack joy because we're simply not obeying God? There's, There's areas of our life where we know we're not obeying him. We've known it for a long time. Is it possible you don't have the fullness of joy because you're looking for it somewhere else outside of him? Because you believe that he's actually trying to restrict or limit your joy. He's actually trying to lead you to it. He has joy and he wants joy for us. That's why Martin Luther said, a Christian should be joyful. And if he's not, the devil's tempting him. Because one of Satan's greatest objectives is is to kill our joy. He he wants us to seek satisfaction in places apart from God, and he does it by telling us that this or that is going to deliver joy, but it never does. Our problem with joylessness isn't that the Lord doesn't deliver, but that the places we go to don't. We, We long for joy. We were made for joy, and we should consider the things we're going to in pursuit of it. Netflix? What a lame place to look for joy. Hey, I'll watch another show for a... And and maybe if it's a cliffhanger, I'll get a little splash of dopamine. It'll hold me over. It'll give me joy. Wasn't that worth going to work for? Food. Maybe I'll eat something savory. Get some joy. Sex. Maybe if I have that. Pornography. Maybe this is where I'll find my joy. Maybe if I... Winter in this exotic hot location, I'll finally experience joy. These things, they're not paths to joy. Charles Spurgeon said this, Holiness is the royal road to happiness. The death of sin is the life of joy. So we need to abide in him. We need to obey him. And if we still don't, experience joy there, there's, there's a third thing that I see in this text, an instruction for us, which is to just ask him for it. Ask him for it. Look at in verse 7. I'll show you where I'm getting it from. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish. Whatever you wish. Actually, flip one chapter to the right. John 16, 24. Once I hear the papers flip, I'll put it up on the screen. Until now... You've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. Why? That your joy may be full. He tells us to ask him for joy. Now we ask for healing and deliverance from our situations. What if we just ask for joy in them? What if instead of laboring in prayer, Lord, deliver me from this, take this away, get rid of this. What if we just said, would you give me joy in the middle of it? Why wouldn't God give that? It's not like he's going to be like, should have prayed for health and wealth and a jet. You know, I, those are the things I like to give, but joy, come on. No. 
he's not like that. He, he, he came to bring us joy. Jesus came, he incarnated to give us joy. With the advent of Christ came the advent of joy. And so praxis, let me ask us again, is our life marked by joy? If it's convicting to you, let me just tell you it's convicting to me. I'm, I'm not preaching from a high platform, okay? I'm, I'm preaching from the gurney right beside you. If we're disciples of Jesus, our life needs to be marked by joy. He came to bring it. He is the eternal source of it, and he invites us as his disciples to partake of it deeply. If you were here this morning and you're tired of what your life's been producing, you're tired of trying to find satisfaction in this or that, and you want a deeper experience of this joy, you want more of this in your life, then you need to put your roots down in Jesus. Jesus says he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. We were made to be satisfied in God, in relationship with God, and in unity with God. And the way to that is through Christ. He came, he lived the life we should have, pointed to the Father, died the death that our actions deserved so that we could be reconciled to him. The separation that ensued because of our actions was repaired by God himself when Jesus became man and stood in our place. And through the cross, he offers us eternal and abundant life and a source of joy that will never run dry. And if this is the first time you've ever heard that and you want that, come find me after. Before we conclude, I want to put one last quote up on the screen from C.S. Lewis because he's written lots on joy that's helpful. I, I love this, and I think it, it should frame our, our thinking. He said this, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It's, it's a pointed consummation. It's not out of compliment that a lover keeps telling you know, each other how beautiful they are. The, the delight is incomplete until it's expressed. You remember saying I love you the first time? It's like you felt it before, but when you say it, it kind of came more alive. That's what he's referring to. It, it, it's incomplete until it's expressed. The, the Scott uh, uh, Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we shall then know that these things are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. And so church, we're going to invite us to stand here in just a second because as we stand and we worship him, we find joy. It's in expressing it that it is consummated in the words of C.S. Lewis. Expressing our thankfulness to him leads to more joy. And what Lewis is straight up saying here is that as we praise God for what he did for us, we actually get more joy. Praise doesn't merely express our enjoyment and thankfulness. It completes it. It's its appointed consummation. And so, worship band, would you come back up? Praxis, would you stand? Because... I want to call us right now to participate in more joy through worshiping Jesus. Because if this is what we exist for, to glorify God and enjoy him forever, then one of the chief ways we can do that is worshiping together as the people of God. This is one of the principal ways that we can partake of more joy.